You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. Good to be with you. Happy Sunday. Just glad you would join us. Um, if it's your first time or your like hundredth time here at Reality, we love you. We're thankful you would join with us to with the uh, other men and women that follow Jesus and uh, just want to learn more about him and fellowship and be in one place once a week here on Sunday mornings. And so grateful to have you. Um, now that we're done with worship and announcements, what we do every Sunday is get into the Word of God and allow God to speak to us and His Word to teach us and His Holy Spirit to change us to become more like Him. And so if you do have a Bible, we are continuing our study in the book of Philippians. So we are in this quite a few months study of this letter that Paul has written that we have it's four chapters, and each Sunday we just dig into a few verses. And uh, it's been incredible so far. It's going to take us all the way to next year up to Easter because we're just going slow. We're going slow and just digging into what God has and really just not trying to fire hose us with a bunch of different concepts, but just that we could kind of grab a hold one or two things that we can pray over and implement that week. And so um, if you have a Bible, love for you to turn to Philippians chapter 2 and verses 12 through 13. Just 12 and 13, two verses today, are our text. If you do not have a Bible, as always, we have Bibles for you on the tables just by the doors as you walk in. You can grab one of those. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can keep that Bible. Or if you know someone that needs a Bible, like please, like don't feel weird about taking that Bible from church. Um, it's yours to take and keep and read and give away. Um, those are yours to take. And so, but what I want to do is I just want to read these verses and then pray and then we'll jump right into it. Sound good? All right, Philippians 2. 12 and 13, this is Paul speaking, kind of piggybacking right after our sermon last week, and he says this. Therefore, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. This is God's word. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Thank you for your word. We thank you for its ability to speak into the depths of our being and really to transform us from the inside out. And today, like previous times we've gathered and opened up your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would direct our time. God, I pray that you would use me as your mouthpiece to communicate these truths to us this morning. God, I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that we would really encounter and hear from the person of Jesus. Never want to leave again. We just give you full reign. We want to Just where I want to 
in the home uh, of Lydia. He saw that. In Acts chapter 16, in our introduction sermon, we saw the formation of this church. In a very personal, and in a very uh, friendly way. He's calling them, hey, dear friends. And what he's saying here is he's saying, not only in my presence, when I was with you, did you obey and follow the Lord, but much, how much more in my absence do I want you to continue on living out your faith? Because once again, Paul is in prison in Rome, very far away from modern-day Philippi, where they are. He does not know if he's going to see them again. He is absent from them. This is a letter that is penned, that has traveled thousand miles or so to get to them. And they're reading this letter. And he's calling them dear friends. And any time you read the Bible, or any time like today, when you hear something like this that Paul is saying, about working out your salvation with fear and trembling, especially when you, like, don't know what it means right away. What's most important when reading the Bible or reading a letter of Paul or really any part of Scripture is to really step back and ask, what is the main point that Paul or whoever the author is is trying to get across? For a lot of us, we get caught in the weeds really quickly by one or two words or by how it's phrased. And we can miss out on what is the point? What's the main theme or main idea that in this case, what is Paul saying? What is he not saying? This verse, like many, are, are taken out of context. This verse, this verse specifically like for centuries now, has been misinterpreted and misread. Because at quick glance, maybe you've heard this before, when you read it, you're like, wait a second, is Paul saying to these Christians to work out their salvation? Does that mean like you work for it? You got to earn it? Or somehow like if you don't keep working, then you lose it? This has been preached wrong, it's been read wrong, it's been thought about wrong. And so it is important that we dig in and figure out, what was Paul meaning? Okay, well, this is what he's not meaning. Let me start there. What he doesn't mean is that works or consistent works earn your salvation. Many have read it this way. And it feels weird if you, if you, if you believe that. You get anxious and you get nervous. And that's where religiosity has creeped into the church for two millennia because they misinterpret this word and they go, ooh. In order to keep a good standing with God and earn my salvation, I just have to do a bunch of good works and I have to continue doing a bunch of good works. That's an error of interpretation. That's a misinterpretation led to a lot of different practices in the church over the last two millennia to this day. People are believing that. That's not what Paul is saying here. Let me just end it there. That's not what Paul is saying. But what does it mean? What is he saying? This is what he is saying. In light of the salvation that we've been freely given by Christ. Again, the start of our verse this morning said, therefore, means Whatever happened before. So last week's sermon, the week's, week before that, talks all about how we've been freely given by Christ our salvation. 
And now, what Paul is saying, in light of you freely being saved by Jesus, now live out your new identity and your new status as a follower of Jesus. One commentator said it this way. Paul here also gives a command using a strange and often misunderstood phrase, which is, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The commentator says, this unique remark speaks of ongoing obedience for those already saved. He goes on to say, it's critical to note that Paul is not telling them to work for their salvation, but rather work it out. It's a very big difference. So if you read this as Paul telling these Christians, hey, work for your salvation, you're like, oh, no, really? That's not what Paul's saying here. He's saying, in light of what Jesus did for you, and he freely saved you, work out that new identity. And so what that means, what it implies, this statement of working out rather than working for, is the need to now live out, to practice, to demonstrate, to exhibit the salvation which we have in Christ. So now this is where, like, this idea in the book of James, like, faith without works is dead. Right? James is saying there, you can believe, but unless there's actions... Unless there's a changed life, that your faith has actually changed your life, then really there's no validity to your faith. Because the faith that we believe in, the God that we surrender to, changes us. And so this is what Paul is saying. He says, whether I'm with you or I'm absent, continue to work out your salvation. Practice living the way of Jesus, he's saying. Demonstrate what it means to love others as yourself. Exhibit the practices of the word of God in your context. This is what he's saying. But do you see the major difference there? Like it's major to, to the difference between working for your salvation and working out your salvation. It's major, and so we need to see it. Because again, whether or not we... We know it. Much of Christianity has distorted this. Maybe you grew up this way. I know for a lot of people, this is their stories. I know for my parents, how they were brought up in their Protestant and Catholic and Christian traditions, a lot of what they came out of was works-based. And they struggle. They struggled for a long time to really connect with Jesus because the way that they were brought up much of Christianity had been maybe slightly distorted or marred or tweaked in maybe a more unbiblical or more humanistic religious way. And for many of us, whether we admit it or not, we, we, we kind of get this idea that unless I live a certain way, God is mad. Unless I go to church a certain amount, I wonder if like my life's not going well because I'm not going to church enough. All of a sudden, we start playing, like, the balance game. How good am I? How much do I? Right? If I go to church enough, is my God quota filled? Right? This is a whole, this is a whole thing that, like, all of humanity, even Christians, can really struggle with. 
And if we believe that, if we believe that our actions are consistently affecting God's mood towards us, for one, that is going to be absolutely exhausting to try to keep up with that ideology. For two, it's going to be a horrible existence. Because you will never be able to live under that burden or attain to a perfect standard. Because you can't or you shouldn't. Because that isn't of God. Like, you, this is huge. And I think even if you've been a Christian for years and years, we get into this performance-based Somehow, I think it's because, you know, we live in a world of performance-based reward. If you do well, then you get the promotion. If you work harder, then this happens, right? Where a lot of, everywhere around us is performance-based, right? If you do better, you get more. So we, we, naturally, that seeps into our Christianity to go, ooh, I got to be amazing in order for God to truly love and accept me. But if I'm not really doing that well, then I think God doesn't. All of a sudden, we become this judge of our own life. But the truth is, that is not who God is. That is not how he feels towards us. How he feels towards us is actually static and unchanging. Like, it's not dependent on our actions. His love is unconditional. His salvation is unconditional. Like, he's going to love you regardless of what you do or don't do. His mood and his thoughts towards you do not change because of you name it. How good I was, how much I followed, how much I obeyed. Now, that doesn't mean that obedience doesn't bring blessing, and there's not huge value to obeying and growing and becoming more like Jesus. This is Paul's point here. He's saying live out, work out your salvation, but he's making sure you know it's not dependent upon you. God did the work. Not only here, but Paul in another letter to the church in Ephesus made this really clear. Again, he wrote to another group of people at another church in the city of Ephesus, and he said this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. You guys know it, I'm sure by heart even. For it's by grace you've been saved. Through faith, this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. 2,000 years ago, people struggled with this. 2,000 years ago, I mean now, later, we struggle with it also. We somehow think we're the ones that can earn acceptance. We're the ones that can earn a ticket to heaven, so to speak. You know what I mean? Paul makes it really clear. It's by grace. You know what grace is? It's an undeserved gift. Did any of us, like, somehow obtain some moral standing to deserve God to accept us freely in heaven? No, it's because of the work of Jesus upon the cross. It's through our faith in what Jesus did, not by our works, that gives us our standing with God. Our salvation and our current standing with God isn't dependent upon our actions. Again, like I, I'm just going to repeat, don't get me wrong, like we also see in the Bible, obedience and a life to live for God and in the way of Jesus, brings blessings. 
So don't hear me out like, hey, my pastor just told me I can do whatever I want. It's not what I'm saying. But we have to. We have to take this to the bank. Otherwise, if you don't, you will always be on a religious hamster wheel of trying to gain God's approval. And you don't have to. That is a lie. That is like a misconstrued idea of the character and nature of God. That is just not who God is. It's a wrong perception of God's character. So what I, I do want is I, I, I want to burst that religious hamsterwear bubble this morning. Because you can't even do that, right? Jesus, through his death, already has. Right? We believe and receive, and God now looks through the lens of Christ's work on the cross at us. Right? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He exchanged his perfect life for a sinner's death on the cross. And then now we have, in perfect standing, we stand in front of God the Father. Because Jesus took the penalty of our sin. Like, this is the gospel. This is the way of the gospel. And so living out, or Paul says working out our salvation, is walking in that grace. It's walking knowing that we've been fully received and fully accepted and fully loved because of Jesus, and it's not dependent on us. Guys, I don't know about you, but if you actually get this, it will change your life because you don't have to always worry, how does God feel about me? So many people, I I know right now, if you were to poll your family and friends, how do you think God feels about you? And if they were honest, they would have a myriad of ideas. Well, I think God's kind of mad. I think God doesn't, uh, you know, won't accept me. They have a huge range of perceptions that they need you to live out and, and pop a lot of bubbles of misconceptions, misperceptions. Because a lot of people won't even walk in this door because they think God hates them. And you're like, no, he doesn't. He actually is the opposite. He loves you enough that he sent his son to die for you. You know, this is the truth of the gospel. It's actually the opposite of what the enemy or the flesh or the world or whatever it is has lied to them about. But again, sadly, so many have bought into this thinking. Even Christians, even some, maybe some of you in this room that we're super anxiously legalistic or because we realize, uh, you know, like we, we, that we try to be some kind of perfect person and unless we do the right things, then God will not like us. Like, not only will you just, that's horrible and this is a burden you shouldn't carry, but many people, if they believe that, they give up on church and on God. Because the truth is we are all Huge works in progress. If you think you came in this door this morning, and because this is our Christians, that we're supposed to be, like, all of a sudden, like, these perfect heavenly beings, I'm so sorry. None of us, that's true of. I mean, we're all, we're doing great, but you know what I mean. We're all works in progress. We're all, we all have stuff. We all have struggle with stuff. We're all, like, But the whole point is, like, are we submitted to the lordship of Jesus? 
are we trying and attempting to follow the way of Jesus to the best of our ability and trying to work out our salvation? We've been saved by grace. It's not of ourselves. God loves me and adores me, and until I see him face to face, I'm just going to try my best to follow him. Like, that is actually the way of Jesus. It's not all of a sudden like you have to be perfect in order for God to truly love you. That's a lie. You are fully loved and fully adored and fully accepted because of the work of the cross. So now you just walk in that. That's what Paul's saying. Paul had to do this like over and over, remind people of this. And so that's why I'm like beating the dead horse right now. It's Paul did. Because the Bible does. So the question is, that we really should be concentrating on, right, is are we saved by Christ's work upon the cross, and are we a redeemed people because of Jesus? Those are the questions. Like, do we believe who Jesus is, who he said he is? Do we receive and accept him as Lord and Savior? Like, these are the main questions. Because, again, if we were to all take, like, the holy test, you know, if there was, like, some weird test that, like, hey, here's a perfect life, Mark off the boxes where you are good and mediocre and failing in. We would all, like, fail this. We would all fail this checklist of good and bad. But so again, we, we shouldn't think that way. A better question to, to think and ask is, are we surrendered and submitted to Jesus? Are we attempting to follow Jesus and submit to his word and his spirit? There is some participation in that. Because you hear a word like today and you're like, oh, I, I'm, I'm supposed to become more like Jesus. You're like, oh, yeah. I'm supposed to live out, work out your salvation. Because Jesus is like, I saved you. You're mine now. So live like that. Live redeemed. Live generously. Live loving others, praying for your enemies, like all these characteristics. Live that out because I saved you by my grace. Now live it. And you're going to make a bunch of mistakes and you're not going to get it right. It's okay. Keep going. I saved you. What you do is not dependent on my father loving you. You're already good. Keep going. I don't know about you, but I, I feel so free and you feel confident to just try to attempt to live the way of Jesus when you don't have to, like, somehow obtain to some sense of perfection in order to be loved. His love is unconditional. It's not conditional. Again, this is the way of the cross in the gospel of Jesus. So many of our relationships are conditional. If you love me, I'll love you. If you're nice, I'm nice. If you're mean, I'm mean. That is not the way of Jesus. He loves you regardless of what you do or don't do. Back to the context, kind of just to wrap up a little bit. So what Paul is saying to those who are Christians, he's saying, you're already saved. Right? In light of what Jesus has done for us, not our doing, now live out your salvation. But then Paul brings up how we are to do it. And he says, with your new identity, with your new life, with your new salvation, do it with fear and trembling. So again, you might be like, mm, okay, that's weird. What does that mean? One author said it this way. The concept of fear and trembling addresses worshipful respect for God. He says, 
This echoes back to the context of last week when Paul spoke of the lordship of Christ. And in verse 11 in which he said, one day every knee would bow before the Lord. Literally the word in Greek, fear, is translated, translated in this context, which means reverence or respect. So Paul's saying, Live out and work out your salvation with reverence and respect for who the person of Jesus is. Again, it's not out of fear that we follow Jesus, but rather out of love and respect for Christ and what he's done. Again, this is very different. This is a good question. If, you have, if you're taking notes, you should write this down. Do... We love and follow Jesus out of fear of, like, consequences or out of love. That's very different. And again, not to get into the weeds, but you can do the same thing with parenting to change a ch child's behavior. You can either do something that makes this child fearful of consequences. Again, I'm not going to get into, like, how you parent or whatever, how the difference is. But or you can try to talk and communicate that the child wants to change the behavior out of love and respect. That's very different. I'm going to change behavior because of fear or I'm going to try to change behavior out of love. Again, I know there's nuances to that. But it, it, it enters into this idea here is do we follow and obey Jesus because you're fearful of like getting in trouble if you don't? Or do you do it because... You love Jesus and who he did and what he did for you, and you love and honor him because he's the best. And, and this trickles into, like, every area of Christianity. And I'll just use one because I'm talking about the church and in the church. I'll give one example that messes with Christians. And it's actually the idea of tithing and donating money in churches, which I know can get sticky. Anytime, like, there's tithe or donation or giving in church, right? If you're a Christian, depending on your upbringing, you may have a great idea of tithing or maybe not. But I think it can be viewed really easy as something that I'm obligated to do. Right? I have to do. If I don't, then. But it's not supposed to be that way at all. Paul, again, had to address this because even 2,000 years ago, Christians were like, ooh, should I give my money to the church because I have to, and if I don't, then I'll get in trouble. Paul says, nope, stop, stop. I don't know if he said it that way, but I'm going to just say, this is what he did. To the church in Corinth, right, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, in relation to giving and tithing to the church, he said, each of you should... Give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The whole concept here is the reason why you would tithe or donate or give to a church isn't because, ooh, I have to, and if I don't, uh, it's, no, God has given me so much, and I want to see his kingdom furthered. And so I am happy to be a part of this partnership, and I will gladly give to the work that God is doing. Because I love God. This is an act of worship. You see how different that is? Again, 
obligation versus a love response. That is one example of so many other things. You could say that about serving in the church. Oh, I, I serve because if I don't serve, then. You're like, mm, I don't know if that's a good attitude. How about you serve because God served you by giving his life to you, and now you want to serve others in the same way. That's very different. Again, this applies to every aspect of our life and, and faith. It's a very different approach and very different view of our relationship with God when you live your faith out from love compared to fear. Right? I obey God because I love God, not I obey God because I fear God. Paul is trying to say, work out your salvation because you love God. So again, after you hear all this, sitting here this morning, how does that land on you? I don't want you to like actually blurt it out. I want you to think about how this is all landing on you. Here's how I think we ought to receive it. Again, I don't know if we are. But I think we should receive it with humility and teachability to examine ourselves and see where we can grow. Right? Anytime you're confronted with something in the Word of God, how, how um, you know, maybe your life needs to be lived differently. Instead of just pushing it away or being overwhelmed or feeling condemned, which is not what God wants, rather it's going, oh, let me examine my life and let me take those things to the Lord and let me maybe think about where I might need to grow in areas of working out my salvation. But if you are here this morning and you hear this and you're like, ah, I don't want this or I'm good or I feel judged, I would just ask another question. Why are you feeling that way? Like, what's the deeper reason why when you hear something, you don't want to just obey? Like, what is causing you to not want your lives to be lived unto the fullness of what God has? There's always a deeper root, right? And all of us, again, our work's in progress. And so all of us hearing this, we've got work to do. So instead of just going, ah, I feel so bad, that's not the way of Jesus. Rather, it's a loving father being like, hey, I have so much more for you in this area. Like, and I'm here to help you grow. So then it, it's not a performance thing. It's just a loving father trying to help his kid thing, right? And here's where I want to leave us. Here's where I want to leave us this morning. Wherever a spirit-filled follower of Jesus is, wherever you are, if you are a spirit-filled follower of Jesus, meaning you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead, you're saved, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, wherever you walk and are, you are bringing and bearing the presence of Jesus with you. I know that's crazy, but that's true. You sit at your cubicle. The presence of Jesus is there. You go get gas at the gas station. Like you, wherever you are, you are carrying and you're, you are a representation of the presence of Jesus. And so the more we work out our faith in everyday life, with your friends, with your spouse, with your kids, at your job, like wherever you are, the more you work out your faith, 
hear this, the more of the presence and person of Jesus people are getting. Like you literally, you're bearing the presence and person of Jesus to those around us, and the more you work out your salvation, as Paul says, the more you live out and exhibit the way of Jesus, the more Jesus your families get. The more Jesus your friends get. The more presence and person of Jesus your co-workers get, our church gets. The list goes on, right? Each of us are needed, and each of us are essential to the kingdom of God. This is what Paul is like pleading. He says, dear friends, whether I'm with you or not, work out your salvation because you're all a part of this. But the work that God wants to do in the world starts with each of us today, here, inside of each of us. Hear this, and I'll end here. I mean it. Our personal transformation, our personal transformation in turn will bring God-sized transformation in the world around us. The more we become like Jesus, the more the world is going to see hear, and taste the person of Jesus. And if you don't believe me, just do a historical study on the spread of Christianity and look at the very beginning, and it was with 12, like, rough-and-tumble guys. God chose these 12 guys, and he used them to change the course of the world as we knew it. Because they just said yes. They, there was nothing out of the ordinary or like superpower human about the disciples. They just said yes to the way of Jesus and they attempted to follow Jesus and be near Jesus and do the best they could and God used it to change the whole world and we are the fruit of that. 2,000 years later, you can trace back to just normal people saying yes to Jesus and working out their salvation. So as we enter into worship, let's continue to live in and heed our brother Paul's words today. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you are a perfect, loving, heavenly Father that just loves us so much and desires the best for us. And you love us enough that you, you, you don't just let us sit and wither away and wander, but you bring us near. And even like words like today, you draw us near to yourself to continue to live into what you've designed our lives to be like. And so, Father, for each of us, we have areas in the working out of our salvation that need attention. <laughs> or maybe need a jump start or a reset or, um, God, we need encouragement. We need correction in. But thank you that you want to do that. You want to grow those areas or correct those areas or encourage us out of love. And God, we want to say yes and amen to the leading of your Holy Spirit this morning, not out of fear of consequence, but out of love and honor and respect for what you've so graciously done for us. 
And so, God, would you help some of us be free of religiosity this morning, of perfectionism? God, I do pray that we would be continue to be transformed into your image, but I pray that we would remember it's by grace that we're saved, not our works. God, would you flood uh, our hearts and minds with your unconditional love, your acceptance, that you receive us, fully receive and fully accept, accept us as sons and daughters. Thank you for the reminder of that truth. We want to worship you now because of these things. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Church.